Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 324 Technodelics. We're joined this week by filmmaker Jason Lang to discuss the coming age of technodelics with the relationship between meditation, psychedelics, and emerging technologies. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. Hello, Buddhist Geeks. This is Vincent Horn, and I'm joined again today on Google Hangouts with our special guest of the day, my good friend, Jason Lang. Jason, good to have you here, buddy. Good to be here. Hello, geeks. Yeah, Jason's streaming in live from Los Angeles, where he lives and works. And he's a film writer, director, um, film buff. I mean, I'd say that's, that's how I would describe you as like the ultimate film geek. Um, it is definitely my probably primary passion. Yeah, I mean, even when I first met you, I think, what was it, like 2006, 2007, something like that? Yeah. Um, I remember the first time we met, we were at the uh, Integral Institute where um, you just started working on video projects. And I came in and I remember you just kind of geeking out with a few people on all of this esoteric film stuff. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like they made a good hire here, you know, in terms of someone who like knows their area. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I thought it was interesting, you know, like reflecting on, on this conversation, um, which, you know, we wanted to explore this this thing that you've been writing a bit about called what you're calling technodelics, which I think is a great term. Um, and I was thinking back to, you know, meeting at II at Integral Institute, which was this very idealistic um, think tank project where all these young people were getting together, working for the philosopher Ken Wilber. And we were, you know, all... Uh, extremely passionate, extremely idealistic, extremely naive, maybe, I think it would be a good <laughs> description. And, but at the same time, like these were the kinds of things that we were talking about even then, you know, the kinds of uh, intersection of consciousness with technology and culture. And it's been so cool to see you, you know, go on to continue working on on that kind of work and in film and, and your own practice. So uh, anyway, just excited to, to sit down and talk with you. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. I could talk about this stuff for hours. Yeah, yeah, we might. So, okay, so let's get into technodelics. This is a term that I don't know. Ha, ha, has there been anyone else using this term? Because you're the first person I've seen use this term technodelic. I'm not sure. I actually haven't sat down to look. I think I did a Google and I didn't find anything immediately, but I would kind of be shocked if it hadn't been dropped somewhere in culture earlier yeah. on. And there is the word cyberdelic, which I have seen come up in a couple different capacities, but it was a very specific uh, use in terms of what I assume technodelics are going to be that kind of started emerging for me over the last year, which about a month or two ago, I was like, okay, I just got to formalize this and get it out of my head. <laughs> yeah. And you, and you wrote a great article, which we'll post in the episode notes called the, the coming age of technodelics. Um, and it's, you know, it's really exciting to me because you're, you're kind of putting a name to and starting to describe something that I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people are starting to feel as a nascent possibility. And I wanted to start maybe by exploring, you know, the intersection points between um, 
meditation, mindfulness on the one hand with technology, of course, that's, you know, the intersection that we're really exploring a lot of, but then also psychedelics, which is something we haven't talked a ton about on Boost Geeks, but which is also really interesting. Um, so maybe, maybe you could share a little bit about, like in your own research, like where have you seen these things connecting in terms of the, in terms of the different spaces? Um, well, you know, first and foremost, I think the, kind of the most obvious area is Silicon Valley itself. And like we were discussing, um, which I think you'll put a link to, there's a great talk by, um, can't pronounce his last name, but I think it's David Peskowitz, who's one of the founders of Boing Boing. And he gave a great talk about what he called cyberdelics, kind of covering the history of the use of psychedelics, specifically in Silicon Valley, and how you can actually kind of map them together in terms of as the counterculture was emerging uh, kind of in that area in the 60s and 70s, you also saw these companies springing to life. And, uh, you know, I think it's kind of probably the most cliche example by now, but there's that quote by, you know, Steve Jobs, who's like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't be who I am had I not done LSD. And, you know, when I think of people using psychedelics, the co-founder of one of the most like industrialist kind of machine oriented companies doesn't immediately spring to mind, but he's someone who's on the record as are a number of other kind of technologists mm -hmm. that they had these kind of experiences on psychedelics that maybe kind of opened them up to new possibilities. Mm. Um, but so you see, I think in, in that region, I think a lot of what like excites me about VR and this idea of technodelics now and the types of experiences that are possible are experiences that a lot of people have had in previous years through the use of psychedelics. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we're starting to kind of see a linking between those. And there's definitely, you know, different spiritual teachers, some of which are stronger proponents than others of using psychedelics in kind of more of a uh, transformational, sacred kind of way in terms of not just, you know, doing it to get high, so to speak, but Right. Using them ritualistically to actually, you know, have these new experiences that tend to kind of open things up. Right. So, yeah, you know, the the Bay Area, it's it's the wildest place ever. Right. Because it was kind of the birth of so much in America. And it's just this kind of like small strip. And it's no surprise to me that, you know, the greatest technologies of kind of our new economy have been emerging out of the same place that was probably using the most drugs. <laughs> back in the last couple of decades, you know? Yeah, and, and in particular, these kinds of drugs, like you said, that have been used as spiritual, ritualistic tools for thousands of years in shamanistic cultures especially. It's not just that they were like getting stoned out of their gourd and then just hanging around. Like they were doing that and building the internet, you know, and uh, building yeah. the, the modern computer, which is quite interesting. And to me, it's no surprise because, you know, from my understanding, kind of more from our integral background, I would say what separates even the term psychedelics from a lot of other drugs is the type of altered state it creates within a person. Uh, and so I find personally psych psychedelics fascinating because they're more about creating new perspectives. Like if you ask someone who's had a deep psychedelic experience, usually what it causes in them is to see something in a different way. The world, themselves, their ego, you know, it, it's a new frame on being, which 
when you think about people creating the internet and the idea of, hey, what if we could instantaneously connect with everyone else around the world at the same time? I think you can even start to see how just in conceiving of that, you'd kind of have to be off your rocker a little bit. Maybe <laughs> five years ago, you know, when everyone else was writing letters. Mm. Yeah, it's it, it's really true. And, you know, I was thinking the other kind of interesting connection that I've seen, you know, especially hanging out with a lot of um, like hippie boomer teachers uh, is that most of the teachers I've worked with, I, I don't, I wouldn't say all, but like a majority probably were also experimenting with psychedelics in their youth in the 60s and then went off many of them went off to India to practice meditation because of experiences that they'd had during that same time period absolutely kind of I know a number of personal friends myself who their whole kind of spiritual path and process of awakening started because of psychedelics it wasn't sustained because of them necessarily. Mm -hmm. They did have to transform that into an actual discipline practice, but it's what got a lot of people on the road, which is what's really fascinating to me because that's not how I came in, um, which kind of, I think will dovetail into our conversation where is for me, it was media that created my first kind of deep state experiences Mm -hmm. in general, uh, be it film or going to rock concerts uh, even reading books sometimes, I think had a similar effect that got me kind of, huh, what's going on here, you know, and then starting to explore. Yeah, talk to me about that, because uh, in your article, you talk about, you know, those experiences like media, rock concerts, like these immersive kind of experiences as being more like a technodelic than a psychedelic and maybe maybe you could just sort of say like what what is the distinction that you're drawing there between those two like what's the main difference? Yeah, for me, uh, where it kind of started coming out from was I've done some psychedelics in my life, and sometimes they have no effect on me. Other times it will, and I'll have like a pretty mind altering experience. And the thing that's always stuck to me about about psychedelics in general is you're really kind of giving yourself over when you take a psychedelic. Uh, In some ways it's the ultimate surrender that I'm getting on this ride and I just have to totally let go because I can't choose to just leave it until it's over in terms of the chemical has literally worked its way through my system. Uh And then the other big piece of that that I've thought about, you know, is having been on psychedelics with other people is the, the different type of experience it is because you and I um, or whoever I'm with, you know, we could take a psychedelic and we could be at the art Institute of Chicago staring at a painting. This <laughs> and is depending all hypothetical, on, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but depending on how the chemical is actually altering our brain, we could be having tremendously different experiences of what's actually in front of us. So what, what that kind of got me thinking about is the thing about psychedelics is we, we take the same chemical, but we can be in the exact same place, but having radically different experiences, if that makes sense. Because like we're getting the same stimulus, but then what the drug is actually doing in our brain is, you know, how I phrased it is kind of like distorting that signal a little bit, which is kind of causing the altered reality. Um, but the thing about psychedelics is, even if we take the same drug in the same situation, 
it's not at all guaranteed to affect us in the same way in terms of that same distortion. So we can't guarantee we're going to have the same experience. So you could be having the best trip of your life. I could be freaking out, curled in a ball, not having a very good experience. Okay. How is that different than going to a rock concert, for instance? Um, going to a rock concert, I think the simplest thing is I can just walk out the door. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so if leave. I'm having a bad experience, I'm totally in control of it. I can just leave. There is the stimulation. Um, so, yeah, like what I was saying with, with psychedelics, when you take the drug, the kind of distortion is happening in, in your interior, in your brain, and how it's processing the stimuli. Mm-hmm. And you no longer have control over that in that moment. You can't, like, will yourself out of a bad trip. It's like the chemical has to break down and be done. Whereas the thing I started seeing, and I'm kind of, uh, you know, making up as I go with this technodelic thing, is mm-hmm. that the possibility of mediated experiences, they have two big things going for them. One, in some extent, we can much more guarantee we're getting the same experience or a much more similar experience. There's just more control. There's less variables. In, t- in terms at least of the sensory experience, right? Yes, exactly. Like Then the other thing is um, it's just exterior stimuli. Like That's, I think, the main thing I would probably delineate between psychedelic and technodelic is technodelic experiences are just coming from external stimuli in terms of aural, visual, uh, maybe at some point tactile, Mm-hmm. taste, olfactory, who knows. But that's basically it. It's just that coming in in a very specific pattern will cause X, let's say. So, mm-hmm. you know, a rock concert is one version of that. You're like feeling the bass coming from the music. Everybody's chanting. There's literally kind of an energy in the crowd. And for me, that causes generally great awakenings. You know, big moments of like, oh, yeah, man, that's right. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so like in simple terms the difference between a psychedelic and a technodelic as I understood it was um, like what you're saying that the difference is the psychedelic sort of changes your processing of sensory reality and it kind of opens it up and there's more information in a way is kind of how I've heard psychedelics described whereas a technodelic is changing the external reality to lead to a kind of altered state experience um, yeah, both of them are leading to some sort of altered, altered state experience in some way. It's not conventional it's, reality. Exactly. And it's the process. And what excites me, particularly about technodelics, is because it's just external stimuli and it's very controllable, it suddenly becomes programmable in a way right. that psychedelic experiences aren't necessarily. You know, there are rituals that a lot of kind of indigenous cultures go through where you do try to control the stimulus as much as you can with the same music and the same kind of environment. And I think that's kind of what's going on. But what we're seeing with this kind of emerging technodelics and specifically when we talk about the Oculus is like a very stable platform to program experiences, probably the most stable platform ever. Okay, cool. So let's talk about the Oculus because this is something that, I mean, this seems like it could be a game-changing technology just in terms of um, what it's able to do even now and and where it might go. Um, you talked about the Oculus in, in this article, The Coming Age of Technodelics, and um, this is sort of, in some ways, it seems like it's the technology that's really having you think through these things as more of a serious thing as opposed to just kind of like an abstract thing. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the Oculus Rift, for folks that don't know, is a uh, VR headset that's well under underway in development right now. They they launched, a, I don't know if it was a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo, but maybe two years ago, and raised a tremendous, like $2 million, I think, enough to really get it going. And as part of that, they started handing out developer kits. So right. just kind of ugly versions of the hardware that, most basic functionality, but worked so people could start playing with them and programming uh, on them. And, you know, from the minute they got into people's hands, the experiences have been quite tremendous that people have been having so much so that, you know, it was just a month or two ago, Facebook went up and bought them for an absurd amount of money. (laughs) Yeah. There's like a $2 billion purchase. And now they have unlimited resources to build whatever custom hardware for their things. Yeah. And, um, one of the gentlemen that took over as CTO of uh, Oculus was, I think it was John Carmack. Uh, there's two Johns from id, so I always confuse them. But one of the original guys who created Doom in Wolfenstein 3D, which were, you know, tremendous milestones even in the history of interactive media entertainment in terms of they literally were games that were well known for adding another perspective. They were the first games that weren't just 2D. They're actually the first 3D first-person shooters in terms of making an immersive experience where you're taking, you know, you don't even see your character on the screen. You just are the character. So it doesn't shock me that he's now, you know, leading the company <laughs> that's going to be leading the charge for these kind of first-hand immersive um, experiences. But the exciting thing about Oculus is it's well under development, so it's already coming. And the types of experiences that people are able to program for it aren't just video games, which is, you know, how it's probably going to launch into popular culture. And it's going to be a gizmo that people are going to hook up to their Xboxes. But I think at the same time, the group of people that have been dabbling in like sensory deprivation tanks, light and sound machines, they're going to latch onto this. So, and they already are, in fact, one of the uh, most amazing things I saw in my uh, research that I posted about in my article was there's an organization in overseas called the machine. I can't remember what it's called, but the, the machine that makes you think you're another. Mm. And their one of their first experiments right now is um, they basically allow you to gender swap. So they would set it up. So a man would have an Oculus Rift helmet on with a little camera and a woman would have an Oculus Rift on with a camera. And you both kind of get into the same place And this is where it gets really interesting because they're able to, I can't remember the exact term for it, but there's a sensory motor fake out you can do to your body. A friend was telling me about this in terms of a party trick. Like if we were at a party and I sat behind you and I stuck out my hand and you keep your hands down, we can keep playing this game where uh, like I go to touch your nose. And at one point, if we do it enough, your body actually thinks that's your hand. Right. Like it can't, it's like wigging out and it's like, okay, I guess that's the new normal. Uh So in this, uh, in this uh, gender swap experiment, they're actually uh, like dancers that, that they have doing it right now that they teach them to do the exact same motions. So you're taking this other person's perspective and they're moving their hands down their body the exact same way you are. So your body's getting the visual information and you're getting tactile information. So suddenly it stitches together these two realities. 
Yes. And it feels like you literally have an out of body experience. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I think that's one of the, that's a really interesting example of a technodelic because you're basically getting to see what it's like to be someone else or to have another body in a, in a way that's fairly, it sounds like it's fairly um, realistic, you know, fr from the reports. And that's just an early example of how people are playing with this type thing. So yeah, where it gets really exciting for me is, I mean, this is going to be the device for experiencing new perspectives in my mind, other people's, other places, other things. I mean, it, you wouldn't even have to be a human, you know, when you put this on, we could have the programmed experience of running through the woods as a wolf, which you can imagine would be kind of tremendous. I, I wouldn't mind uh, run, running through the through the through the woods as well, as long as I could take the uh, device off at the end of the, yeah, exactly. uh, the end of the run. <laughs> and that's and so that's what where I think some of the real power is is the level of I guess I could say safety that a device like this has in terms of because it's not real, right? So we could put this on and have some pretty trippy experiences programmed. But at any point, you can just turn it off and step away and relax and breathe. And, and you're kind of good. There's nothing in your system. So what's cool to me about that is just I feel like I'll, this could impact more people in terms of I think more people would be willing to participate in it initially, if that makes sense. In like, terms whereas, of consciousness exploration? Yeah, versus like psychedelics, I, I think um, – you know, some people definitely have their own viewpoints on that and might not want to partake. Whereas it's, I feel like just a lot more people already play video games. For me as a filmmaker, we already have a proto version of this in terms of the film going experience, like go right. into a dark room, shut off all the lights, stare at a screen. <laughs> like, you know, that's like an, the that's earliest cool. version of controlling that environment and throwing you external stimuli, which causes you to feel... Yes. something else based on your uh, assuming another person's identity on that screen. So culture is already doing it, which is what I think is really cool to me. Like a lot, there is a mass of people that are already kind of doing this interactive media thing. And this is just going to be like the hammer that takes it to the next level in my mind. Okay, cool. No, it makes sense. And I'm, and I'm, I'm very much with you on that. I see some really exciting um, I guess proof of concepts around what we might be able to do with this stuff. I've seen a game called Sound Self um, from a fellow named Robert Arnott, who's an indie game developer. Um, you know, kind of combining chanting with a visualization in the Oculus Rift, which is quite cool, and I got to play with it a little bit recently. Oh, nice! Um, and you know, I've seen things like what you're describing. It, it brings up some very interesting questions. At the same time. I think it's going to bring up some, and it does bring up some very interesting concerns uh, or like uh, cautions. You know, one that my uh, that my partner Emily brought up is, you know, how is it going to affect us, especially if we spend a lot of time in these virtual realities, which you know conceivably we could. How will it affect us to be immersed in certain parts of our sensory field, and then the other parts of our sensory field being somewhere else? Like, will will there be you know, a sense of being disconnected or in two different realities at once, and how might that affect you know our our mind state or our physiology? Um, like that's that's one concern I've heard that it's is also it seems valid, like a valid thing to to wonder. 
Um, Absolutely. As you know, as someone who uh, admittedly used to play a lot of Halo online, <laughs> sometimes uh, an hour before bed, I could absolutely feel the effect laying down afterwards of my mind just going from kind of that life or death, shoot, 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 kill, but my body having not moved. Right. It's a very uneven state that's kind of like hard to um, put together. But, I mean, my argument against that would be even this early on um, in the Oculus kind of world, they're already working on technologies to incorporate tactile feedback. Sure. Uh, so one of the first devices that went up right after the Oculus Rift was like the, it kind of looks like, a, what are those things called? You like put your toddlers in them and it's like a giant ring and they can like walk around and it's kind of like a giant hula hoop around them. I, I don't know if you can imagine that um, or what that's called, but somebody made one of those that you stand in and you put your Oculus on and your body can turn, your feet can walk, and it starts to link it up into the actual experience. So I, I do think it's only a matter of time before they find ways to more connect the body back in. And some of that I think we're already even starting to see just kind of on the self-tracking side of things in terms of, um, I, you know, I have a friend who was just blowing me away in terms of even where we're already at in terms of like the Connect, which is Microsoft's um, kind of external camera mm -hmm. and web cameras in general, they already have algorithms that can fairly accurately could be taking your and I's heartbeats right now, just from the webcam by analyzing the blood flow in our foreheads. Yes. And so those are going to be, I think, early ways to start connecting that loop in terms of getting your actual body back into the experience. Because again, like as a Halo player, one of the things that always like tripped me out thinking about was like, oh man, what happens when we do have, you know, some kind of sensor on calculating our heartbeat and our general stress level, and that starts to impact how we're playing in the game. And I think that's a big thing we're going to see in terms of these technodelics, like some of the state training in terms of, oh yeah, you want to have a clear shot? Well, in real life, you'd have to learn how to relax, breathe slow, line up, do whatever you're going to do. And there's zero reason we're not going to have that in video games in the next five to ten years, if not sooner. Yeah, I mean, the video game cases, I think, really, it's really easy to make, and it's really easy to see that's going to have a broad impact. Um, the thing I'm really curious about is the more meditative or contemplative type uh, experiences that might be programmed, you know, I could imagine, for instance, I've used a visualization um, app called Transcendance on the uh, iPad, um, and I put it on the computer, and I've dark, you know, gone to a dark room and just focused on this sort of very complex mandala um, that's sort of very slowly spinning and has a, a, a very interesting and easy to focus on object. And I could have, I imagined, what would that be like in the Oculus? You know, what would that be like if it were completely three dimensional and all I saw was this visualization. And then what would happen if you threw, you know, like an EEG headset on there with like a decent amount, an, enough resolution that you could get some sort of uh, feedback built into the experience. You know, for instance, if, you know, your attention starts wandering, maybe the visualization becomes less obvious. And then once your attention focuses, it becomes more clear, you know, something like that. Totally. Um, you know, those sorts of things, it seems like also will become available as kind of like indie meditation experiences. 
and I wonder, you know, I wonder how they'll be received, uh, how like how broadly, and I also wonder like what kinds of uh, challenges and problems might that create, you know, because when you start exploring your own consciousness, you know, you, it's very common for people to to have experiences, you know, where things start to fall apart a little bit in terms of perception or, you know, you know, it's, it's all fun and games until someone loses an eye, you know, the capital I. <laughs> so anyway, these are things I'm both excited about and also very, um, you know, concerned about in a way, like, or just realize there could be, there will be new problems that arise, you know, from, you know, thousands or perhaps even millions of people, you know, exploring their own minds with that kind of technological aid. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, I, I think wherever it ends up going, it is going to be another tool in the tool set. I don't think it's going to be the only tool. Um, I think we're going to see people continue doing other types of practices and other types of media experiences are still going to occur in terms of, I think films will still happen, books will still happen. This is just gonna be another tool set that's really good at giving one type of experience. And I think in terms of you know state training and spiritual growth, what I see it maybe doing is closing the real potential being of these kind of new technodelic technologies is closing some of the feedback loops in terms of if you're a long-term practitioner that, you know, has a great teacher who can work with you through all these different experiences and kind of, you know, help you go from one thing to another, I think you're in a great boat. But I think for a lot of people, you know, it's like going to the gym. You go three or four times, you're like, I don't even know if I'm doing anything. Like, is this working? Am I wasting my time? Should I be changing my diet instead? Or maybe cardio would work better for me. Because no matter what article you read, there's different ways. So I think some of these technologies, what they're going to allow you to do, you know, particularly in like some of the demonstrations you were just talking about, is kind of close the loop a little bit in terms of practice where it's like, oh, no, no, no. If you do this, you are going to have most likely this kind of state experience. And we can actually track the change in your brain patterning. Not that it can all be reduced to that, but just that I think it'll be easier to know um, like, oh, yeah, that, you know, this is having in, in the in the moment in some ways, you know, even if you're having a meditation that isn't a mind altering state experience, a lot can be happening in your brain. <laughs> you know, even if it feels like a plain vanilla day and to start to get some of that feedback in terms of data with some of these trackers and then to have it relayed to you in real time, even I can only imagine like the experience that it'll start to create mm. cool well, jason thanks for um yeah taking some time to to explore this with us it's i think we should you know leave it open-ended because it really is open-ended and absolutely uh, you know i'll be very curious to see over the next few years you know where this stuff goes especially with the uh, virtual reality coming on totally and i think we're gonna see you know to to all you geeks out there like the importance of as these technologies get more and more able to tap into these state experiences, the importance of people that know what they are right. and what effect they have on someone and their practice and their identity, it's like going to become really important. Cause like you said, I think otherwise, just like any other um, mind altering substance, there could be as much damage as good if you don't really know what you're doing. So that's where, you know, I'm somewhat, heartened to know it's coming out of 
you know, what I perceive to be this kind of mashup happening in Silicon Valley now where we're seeing more contemplative arts crossing over into people who are like leading these companies. So hopefully there's some awareness around this and, and it's not just ads in front of our eyeballs from Facebook all day, yeah. every day, but um, I really hope not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks again for, for chatting and uh, this was really fun. Cool, man. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.